Welcome to Reimagining Schools, a podcast from the Edupreneur Academy. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Brandon Tatum, an innovator in Oklahoma education who has some great suggestions and ideas for how we can solve our nation's workforce issues across multiple industries and using VR technology to better facilitate learning in the online school environment. Hey, Brandon, thanks for joining us this afternoon. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast and you've got so much to talk about. I think you and I have known each other at least a couple of years now. So I know quite a bit about your background, but I would love for you to start and just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into education. And then how did that lead you to educational entrepreneurship? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I actually did not love education as a kid. I actually, I actually did not like school. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't feel like I was equipped um, to be a good student uh, in the in the traditional sense of of what was expected to be a good student. Um, it just it didn't ever came easy to me. Um, later on, I find out I have uh, dyslexia, and I didn't find that out till um, halfway through my my doctorate work. And so that's kind of an interesting wow. bit. That probably didn't help me love school very much. Um, but because I didn't love school, I didn't want to go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my grandpa was a police officer. My uncle was a police officer. And so I decided I was going to go to the police academy. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do that till I was 21. And my friends were going to college. And so I thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll just tag along with them and do the college thing. And then when I turn 21, I'll go to the academy. And uh started actually figuring some things out in college and started enjoying my, my courses and what I was doing. I started coaching basketball. So my, my entrance into education as a profession was through coaching. Mm-hmm. And, um, it it kind of got into the private school space and graduated college, started teaching and coaching. And uh, I've, been in, I've been in the education space ever since. Um, college and kind of worked my way all the way up through my, my doctorate of education. And now I'm not only a lover of education, I'm an advocate for education and trying to figure out how, how we can make it better uh, on multiple fronts. Um, but I kind of got shoved into education. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I knew that was going to be my trajectory. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. We have a similar story there, and some of that I didn't know. So I also was coaching, and that's how I got into education and didn't love school growing up and certainly didn't think I'd come back to be a teacher or a principal. <laughs> so I can definitely relate with that story. But you definitely are a great advocate for education now. Um, and how do you see you know, your background in education? How did that eventually lead to you being an entrepreneur? How did you get involved with education entrepreneurship? Yeah, I... Um... I think I've, I started assessing myself and trying to figure out what is it that I, that I love doing within education. And, uh, at, at, but right before I started my own company, I was a superintendent of a private school and, and really loved that time um, for almost a decade. And I, I realized I, I love sales. I love selling things. <laughs> um, I also love uh, solving problems. And so I started kind of looking in into the space, into the education, predominantly higher education space. My, my doctorate was had a focus with higher education. And I spent most of my career at the K-12 level, uh, but really 
you know, what problems are out there and how can I use my skill set to help solve some of those problems? And uh, for me, that was, um, there was a couple of problems. One, there was a problem with a lot of small colleges struggling in online learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren't equipped um, to handle online learning. They didn't understand online learning. They didn't understand how to market online learning. So I thought I could, on an, on an easy level, I could help, I could help try to solve that problem. And then on a, on a significantly higher level, I saw our state's problems in workforce shortages. Mm-hmm. And, and so I really started trying to think through, okay, how could we, um, how could we use education? How could we use technology with education in a way to start solving workforce shortages? So I, I think I pushed myself into kind of this edupreneur world through the lens of how, how do we solve some of these issues? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, definitely relate with that as well. When you first thought about, you know, some of these problems and how, you know, to solve them, what kinds of things did you do to help yourself get started and figuring out how to create a business? Um, so I, I started kind of just talking. Uh, I, I tend to be okay at that. And uh, mm-hmm. visiting with people, calling people, calling people in the space, seeing what they were doing to try to solve some of this or, or what they were doing with online learning. A couple of friends who were uh, presidents of small colleges. Uh, so I kind of started reaching out to them saying, hey, here are some ideas that I have. How could this help you? And mm-hmm. it really kind of started out as a side hustle um, in a lot of ways. You know, I had a, I had a job um, and just kind of on the side, what could I do to, to help? And that evolved fairly quickly for, for me. I, I think I was pretty blessed. Um, it evolved within a less than a year. Um, I, I was ready to go do it full time. Um, and so I feel like that, that side hustle evolved pretty quick. Um, but it really, it came through just meeting with people, talking to people, and then, and then trying to put some solutions in place. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that you were lucky in the sense that you were able to jump to that full time so fast. I know that's been a challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs is deciding when it's a good time to make that decision to make the leap from side hustle to full time. Do you remember? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I also positioned myself in a way, uh, since I'm a poor person, (laughs) I also tried to position what I was doing in a way that I didn't need a lot of upfront capital. Yeah. very much kind of this lean startup model to where I I needed very little capital to start. And that, that made it very easy for me um, to get moving pretty quickly. Um, Yeah. And by that, do you mean you were trying to think of business ideas that didn't involve a lot of, like you didn't need necessarily like a location or is that what you mean by that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I knew at some point, I wanted to get into some spaces where I was going to need capital. So like right now we're in virtual reality and, and we need capital for virtual reality. Um, but uh, early on, I wanted to try to figure out how could I, how could I start creating revenue mm-hmm. in ways that didn't take a lot of money to create revenue. Uh, yeah. so, I mean, the basic things like I worked out of IHOP for an entire year and got <laughs> to IHOP ladies really well. Um, and so I saved money on office space and did the virtual thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
but also I, I didn't need um, capital in, in my work. I was doing a lot of uh, marketing and I was able to do a lot of that myself and I was able to build some of the technologies myself um, for that and a lot of build a lot of the relationships myself for that. And so um, kind of rethought what marketing looks like in online learning uh, and, and how could I how could I go sell a program without spending you know, $100,000 on social media buys um, right. or, or Google ads. Uh, I, I flipped the script on how I decided to market those programs. And I was mm -hmm. able to do that with a relatively low cost um, into the market. Yeah, very smart. Do you remember some of the early challenges that you faced? I mean, I'm sure there were a lot, but does anything stand out to you and kind of how you overcame those, those challenges? Yeah, I think resistance to change mm -hmm. uh, was 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 my biggest hurdle from an institutional perspective. So um, I've worked with at this point about five institutions um, is is kind of my repertoire to to date, and um, in in all of those instances, there were um, leaders that were really excited about change and understood the need to change. Pre-COVID, they understood the need to change. Post-COVID, a few more people understood the need to change, but not everybody. Mm -hmm. And so you have that, um, that resistance to change in um, a very institution-like, uh, established-like culture. Um, that, that was, that was my, my biggest hurdle, and in some ways still is, and it will always will be because majority of people like things the way they are. Sure. Uh, and so whenever you come into an environment and uh, are changing some of that, you, you get resistance. And so a lot of change theory, a lot of trying to build relationships with people, a lot of trying to connect the why of the change to the why of the institution uh, has been a big piece of it. Um, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Um, and I just was reflecting on my experience with that as well. And I think that's so true that, you know, it is about relationship building, uh, you know, being able to relate and see other perspectives and sides of things to help kind of find common ground. Definitely. I've had situations where, you know, the public school background that I've had has helped to kind of make those connections for people that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Is there anything that you can think of that's um, you wish you would have known, or if you were looking back at yourself, you'd say, Brandon, do this differently. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I wish I would have been aware quicker of some of the entrepreneur, not entrepreneur, but entrepreneur markets, mm. uh, working events, uh, small think tanks, uh, other like-minded people that have kind of, that struggled through some, some issues that, that I've kind of struggled with um, already. Uh, that that would have been really great to know from the get-go of, mm -hmm. of where those communities are. Uh, that, that's probably the biggest one that I, that I wish I would have known. Um, I also wish I would have known uh, how lonely it can be to kind of mm -hmm. start something else. And you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, I was so used to working with a team and people every day I was going into an office and there were people there that we worked together and we, and so right. it, lonely at first um that that has changed over time but uh that that's something that i, I wish i would have 
have known how to maybe deal with a little better as well. Yeah, great reflections. And that kind of leads into just what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs that are you know considering starting something? Um, I think risk is something that we have to be comfortable with and the willingness to, to try some things and the, and, and the knowledge to know that we, we might fail at some of yeah. this. I think failure is a key piece. I, I would say that over um, the last 10 years, I, I've tried a couple of different things um, that, that didn't really work. Um, and then one, one did work and, <laughs> uh, and is, is working, but it took some, some failure spots uh, for me, for me to kind of get here. So um, it, it's okay to risk a little bit. Um, I, I say that I, I risked some, I didn't risk a lot, um, before I completely took the, the step out there. Um, I, it wasn't like I was leaving no income to no, I mean, a, a income to no income. I, I had already developed kind of a, a safety place. So I'm mm-hmm. not super brave, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but it is risky to leave kind of the known for the unknown. Um, that, that, that's kind of a scary, a scary place to be. Uh, I would also say uh, be confident. Uh, mm-hmm. say yes. There, there were a lot of things early on that I said yes to uh, that I didn't necessarily have an expertise in, but I learned pretty quick because I knew I needed to say yes and I knew I needed to, to keep revenue coming in. Right. And so if somebody said, Brandon, do you, do you do this? The answer was yes. <laughs> I would figure out how to do it. I, I have probably three or four different stories of, of me saying yes, that were probably a little bit outside of my, my lane. Um, and, and I know focus is an important thing. I hear a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders talk about you need focus and you need to keep focus. And, and, and I agree with that, but I also, um, know that you need to pay bills and put food on the table for a family. And so while you need focus, you also need revenue coming in and right. sometimes yes to a couple of side projects help, help produce revenue for, for my focus. Yeah. 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 I seem to have re- recall you and I kind of working on a storyline course creation project that we may or may not have known a whole lot about what we were, <laughs> what yeah. we're doing. And we said yes. And yeah. It was kind of creating flexibility um, in, in our space, especially early on, was at least important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. And you really do have so much going on. You are an innovator in education and kind of pushing the boundaries, I think, of what's possible. So I'd love to hear just more about some of the ventures that you have gotten yourself into these days. Yeah. So I'm excited about some VR stuff that we're working on. Um, should be live by the end of this quarter, uh, where it, it's a, a VR meeting space um, called Multiversity. We're, we're excited about that. Uh, also, uh, really working on two interesting degrees to solve those workforce shortages that I talked about earlier. Uh, in Oklahoma, we have a, a nursing shortage and we have a teacher shortage. So two critical, critical roles in any state, um, and we just don't have enough people and as I started kind of digging into that, I actually am not convinced we have a workforce shortage. Mm. Uh, I think we have a pipeline problem. 
Interesting. What do you, how do you see that being different from a workforce shortage? So I think we have people um, in our state that want to do those roles, Mm -hmm. but we do not have a pipeline, an innovative pipeline to help them get those roles. So um, for example, with nurses, we have uh, institutions across our state that turn down people every year from their nursing program mm-hmm. have enough space for them. Thousands of people every year in the state of Oklahoma get turned away from a nursing school because our nursing schools don't have the capacity. Wow, so yeah. There are people wanting to become nurses, but there's a pipeline problem. We, we cannot get them somehow, for some reason, we can't get them there. Mm-hmm. In education, uh, we say we have a, a teacher shortage. Um, this year uh, is the largest amount of emergency certified teachers in Oklahoma. We have over 2,600 emergency certified teachers, but we have somewhere around 4,000 paraprofessionals and teacher's assistants that are in our mm-hmm. classrooms. And, but our pipeline is created for high school graduates to go to a traditional school and live on campus and go spend four years and not work and, and go to school. And that right. that's our pipeline. Mm-hmm. We're able to tweak it and create a pipeline to help the paraprofessionals and teachers assistants who are already in the classroom get their degree. They would love to become teachers, but they can't go do what the 18-year-olds are doing. Life doesn't allow them to do that. So if we could figure out a way to help those paras become teachers through online learning and, and technology and mentorships and those kinds of, of, of things, we would solve our nursing shortage overnight. Yeah. So I think we have the people that want to do the jobs, but we have a, a system uh, not nimble and flexible enough to help them mm-hmm. get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's great to think of it in that way. Um, And you may have kind of answered this question about plans for the future with what you just said, but kind of thinking forward, what else are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I think we're pretty, we're pretty close to being statewide with our nursing program. Um, So for that program, I think we're ready to go kind of national with it. Mm -hmm. And we have some hospitals from other states already talking in in that regard. The teacher program, I'm ready to kind of go statewide with that. I think we're really ready to expand that program, the paraprofessional, the teacher program, uh, we're we're really ready for. Um, I'd like to start working on a new industry. And so we're still toying with what industries are are we gonna kind of look at. There's a lot happening in the finance space right now. Yeah. A lot happening with computer uh, science and cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's a lot in that space too. So we're just kind of analyzing some spaces right now and see what, what's our next industry play. Uh, that, that's kind of si- exciting to think about. And then how do we really strengthen our online learning programs through the use of virtual reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge play there uh, for higher education. And I think we're pretty close to making some pretty neat announcements in that space too. So a lot, a lot happening in the online learning space. And it's yeah. not, not just the traditional, you know, Johnny's going to get a degree eating Cheetos on his couch. <laughs> it's a very 
uh, industry embedded degrees where people are engaged in the work that they're trying to get their degree for. Right. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, that is exciting. That's great. And so for our listeners that's maybe interested in any of those things you mentioned, the paraprofessional, the nursing programs, or maybe just picking your brain about entrepreneurial ideas, what ways could they contact you? And I'll be sure and add it to the notes as well, but you might say it. Yeah, probably the, just the easiest way would just be um, hopping on uh, Instagram or Twitter at BCT Books. Probably the easiest way. Okay, great. Perfect. And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we sign off? I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate that you're cultivating these these conversations. I, I think there's so much happening in the education space. And, and um, my hope is that education... Um, 10 years from today looks very different than what it looks like today and very different in the sense that I think we're moving to a more student-centric uh, mm-hmm. approach to learning. I think we're, we're moving to a very more personalized approach to learning, which is really exciting to me. Um, technology can really help um, keep us distant, but I think if we use technology in the right ways, we can really use it to personalize uh, learning and to really strengthen the way we think of community. And so I'm really excited about the direction it's headed. And I think conversations like this and, and like your podcast help will help us get there. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about where education is going to. And it's a great time, I think, to be an innovator in education. So thank you for everything that you're doing to help push that forward and to see things change and to, to help us to grow. So I appreciate you being here today. Great. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thank you.